This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. Heard you missed us. We're back. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Your one and only biodegradable, all natural, all American, 100% pure East Coast, Midwest, you name it. We got it. Your only podcast by and for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. It's the DLR cast once again. I'm Steve, along with my great friend, Darren Palchowitz. And Darren, we got all sorts of things to talk about here, Dave-related, because it's been a wacky, bizarre, I'm going to do a Johnny Carson, it's been a weird, weird, <laughs> wonderful week, I guess, or something like that. It's bizarre stuff. I'm not even, I'm thinking of different titles for this episode already. And right. there's some wacky things going on, and it have, has happened. So where do we begin, my friend? Well, I'm glad you have your great Karnak turban on specifically <laughs> for this episode because you're, it's costume appropriate. Karnak, what Karnak was the guy who wore the turban? Yeah, I think so. Right? Yeah. Weird Did, and weird and weird and wild stuff. Ed. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no sorries. I, I I welcome that. Uh, Doc Severinsen is still alive, right? Early nineties. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah, well, hey, all the all the relics from the Carson show, I I celebrate them more than I celebrate Diamond David Lee Roth uh, this past week or two. Because Steve, this this is a tough episode for me. Um, I'm gonna have to uh, open up an adult beverage to get this uh, through this episode. Is that okay? Hey, you do whatever you need to do, my friend. Okay. I would <laughs> that dulcet tone we hear of, yeah, uh, the, of a, of a can is, opening. <laughs> you know, we hope we've done plenty of episodes where it's like all we really had was the interview uh, with the guest, and maybe we heard a rumor or two. And then this episode's really different because Van Halen just keeps making uh, the the news radar. Because, you know, there was a we can get to it later, but there was a Billy Sheehan thing related to Dave that came out. Michael Anthony has activity. Dave appears in person and over the Internet. Like there's so much stuff, but very few of it is like positive or encouraging or. Well, well, I would say there's lots of Dave and Van Halen adjacent stuff when it's for strictly Dave stuff, being as we are fans and not fanboys, if we were the latter I think we'd be a lot more positive for the Dave stuff for the Van Halen adjacent related stuff. All right. Well, let's see uh, a new mammoth track and awesome video dropped. I think it was yes. last week, which sounds amazing as I had no doubt it would from Wolfie's next album from mammoth um, VH. Uh, this we'll get into this in a minute. This Michael Anthony supergroup sounds interesting coming on the heels of a lot of wondering you and I have done and talking, and we're going to do an episode someday about what should have, could have been how many cool things could have and should have been possible with Dave's solo career, as far as supergroups and the like. And I got some different ideas there considering he could have the pick of anyone to play with. Right. Um, I know a very, an interesting interview, Van Halen adjacent, interesting interview I saw on the, Van Halen news desk. I tried watching bits and pieces of it where Gary Schoen really opened up about uh, Van Halen, the, the, what was going to be, I guess, a follow-up to Van Halen three. So lots of stuff, but circling back the stuff with Dave specifically, not so positive, some weird stuff. I mean, I guess if you're going to, let's start, let's start with what happened last week. He's out and about made an appearance, one song doing Panama 
at the Mandalay Bay as part of a Home Depot managers convention. <laughs> okay, somebody told me it was two songs, but I have not seen Jump. Somebody said he also did Jump. I'm not seeing the reporting any- that I've seen that Consequence of Sound picked up that was on Van Halen News Desk. I thought it was just one song on. Uh, it was just one song, Panama. Uh, no one can confirm nor deny the rumor that Dave got paid in Home Depot gift cards. <laughs> uh, you know, I did so much research on this thing because I woke up to it on Saturday morning. Yeah, you and I were texting right away. We we're like, WTF, man. Yeah. So I was basically sourcing everybody's Instagram posts. And then I sent it into Blabbermouth, Metal Sludge, and a few of those and went, here's what I have. What can you figure out? And then, of course, Blabbermouth runs it like it's their scoop and their story. And you're like, okay, great. So, I mean, <laughs> what we do know is it was a Home Depot sales managers meeting. Uh, I think Gary Marino said he was going to verify further through a friend of his who worked for Home Depot. But we know that. I did some research. It looks like Home Depot does its thing around this time of year every year at Mandalay Bay. So that's nothing new. We know that it had Royal Machines, which I believe is an offshoot band of Camp Freddy. Uh, did did you ever see Camp Freddy live, Steve? No, I have not. Camp Freddy, for those who are unaware, not that I'm an elitist or anything like that, but it seems to have started in the early 2000s with Matt Sorum, Billy Morrison, Dave Navarro, a bunch right. of Jane's Addiction adjacent human beings, and just playing covers and getting people on stage And then at a certain point, that split into two groups. It looks like Royal Machines, which was everybody but Matt Sorum. And then Matt Sorum did Kings of Chaos. And weirdly, the first time I saw Kings of Chaos, it had Steve Stevens in it. So I don't know if he defected or if he's just taken over for Navarro, because Dave Navarro is still out of action with his quote-unquote long COVID. And the reason I do the long COVID quote-unquote is because he's done a painting exhibition (laughs) He's on Instagram. He's walking around New York. He's walking around L.A. I don't know if he's sick or he's just renegotiating his deals. But either way, we know it had Steve Stevens, Billy Morrison. It had cameos from Mark McGrath, who's regularly in Royal Machines, DMC, Linda Perry from Four Non Blondes, David Lee Roth. Uh, Is Donovan Leach in this band? Any idea? Uh... I was going to say yes, but I'm not 100% sure. I couldn't figure out who the drummer of it was from the footage that I saw. Um, Because I I saw that Mark McGrath apparently has these kinds of gigs, it seems like, three nights of the week. Mm -hmm. In other words, he puts up this, and then you look at the next night, he was doing a private event at a country club or a golf club. And it, it was I found that out through the drummer, Dean Butterworth, who's also in Good Charlotte and Sugar Ray. So... I think that there is a corporate circuit with our favorite artists that we're not cool enough to know about. We don't work for the right corporation, Steve. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's no <laughs> secret that rock bands do and 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 do very well doing corporate gigs and yeah. multi-billion dollar companies. I mean, listen, Kiss has done it many, many years yeah. ago, 20 plus years ago. I saw Cheap Trick at a club. God, it was a Marlboro Cigarettes corporate gig at a small club in Minneapolis. And then they did one, I want to say it was a corporate gig for Jack Daniels or something. I can't remember which of them. I think it was a Marlboro 
one, the pre-show Mexican buffet, I was just lolling up to it. And lo and behold, <laughs> I was fixing a burrito next to Tom Peterson. So you get to hobnob a bit. But these, of course, are much bigger now. These are massive events. Mandalay Bay, you know. Uh, Kiss has done corporate gigs. Van Halen did a corporate gig with yeah. Dave, right? I mean, so this is no secret. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna denigrate. I'm not gonna poo-poo it. I'm not gonna go out. You know, I'm not gonna say that Dave looked like he raided either Siegfried or Roy's wardrobe cabinet <laughs> for what he was wearing. I saw you know the Van Halen news desk. Uh, it's there was one of those the there was a video posted, but it was taken down. At least seeing this now on Wednesday night, we're recording this, so I haven't looked anywhere else for other videos. Uh, but it was it was one song. No idea how he sounded. I guess. Oh, I do. Okay. Uh, well, let's get into it then. <laughs> oh. Spill yeah, okay. it. So, it's if you want to be a Dave apologist about the Vegas shows that he did a couple of years ago in Vegas, you can go, oh, you know what? You know, he, he had 15, 20 songs to do. So, you know, he was saving his breath because it's a long night and he's getting older and you got to pace yourself. And you, can, you could do that apologist route. Okay, these corporate gigs... In particular, so Steve Stevens is why we know about this thing, because he put the selfie up with Dave from Soundcheck or a rehearsal. Right, and like I, the day before. And I remember you and I were trading messages. Before. Yeah. Huh? A couple of days. A couple before. days before, yes. So what that tells me is I think he put it up on a Sunday or Monday, and I think this gig was a Thursday night or a Friday. Right. That I, I can't fully verify. But that means they flew Dave out to Vegas. They put him up for a couple of days. He sang one or two songs in soundcheck, one or two songs at the gig itself. And he was terrible. And you know that old, that expression of you had one job to do. Mm. And so you're saying, well, Darren, why did he sound terrible? Because he's doing the Dave Lee Roth thing of these past few years where he's a couple of beats behind and then he's not following the rhythm on the record or the melody on the record. And then he's doing that thing where he's straining for high notes that aren't there on the record. So he's doing that melody reinvention thing. And it's, it's like, he's listening to a different song. So like the backing vocalists are on time and doing it. The band sounds great. And he's just, he's doing his vocal jazz improv Dave. And he just had one song to do. This is the audience that wants to hear it exactly like the record. All right. Well, one song to do, but as we search, as I search around a little bit, for, uh, I'm looking at anti music right now. Apparently, and this is so funny that we're having trouble confirming this. And I'm not going to tell you we did two hours worth of research leading up to this episode, but one report says he did. Uh, you really got me, Panama and Jump, according to reports at setlist.fm, anti-music.com reports. Um, okay. So, I mean, one song, three songs. <laughs> 10, 10 minutes or 13 minutes to do in a five-day vacation. Because we know that that Dave doesn't show up for the traditional sound check. Dave does not rehearse with the band. Dave right. does not do the traditional hangout. Dave doesn't do press. So it's not like he's one of those guys that goes, I'm on, on vocal timeout today because I got to sing. He's not one of those guys. He's just doing songs that he's been performing for literally over 40 years that he knows instantly that he doesn't have to warm up to do. And these are the performances he turns out. It's 
definitely insulting, I think. And he, can I give you my main reason that I'm salty on this, Steve? No, absolutely. Okay. Of course you can. Here's my main reason I am salty on this. This performance was in the Mandalay Bay Arena. The Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino, to be official. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Where was Dave's residency that was canceled from last year? House of Blues, right? And what hotel is the House of Blues in? Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay. Okay. So... <laughs> So Dave is in Vegas for four or five days, something like that, at the same exact hotel where he basically canceled, built a bunch of people out of their vacations, never apologized and said, hey, you know, uh, if there's the, the benefit for the wildfires or the veterans, call me up. OK, didn't make good on that. He's playing in the same city and hotel where all the residency fans got screwed out of. He couldn't do a warm-up gig. He couldn't do a second gig while in town. Nothing. How cool would it have been to do it unannounced within... Oh, my God. Think of the different marketing opportunities, right? Yeah. 24 hours. It's a special VIP thing for whales and high rollers or whatever through the House of Blues or Mandalay Bay. You pack it in there as, as a... As a one-off Because he even said in his podcast I can do one-offs and back and forth This is three songs for God's sake So again, I guess you can call it a missed opportunity But I'm more concerned the fact that What you're telling me is that He didn't sound very good for these three songs No, I I really can't justify it And uh, Okay not not that I want to, you know, change topics right here, but one of my favorite podcasts is this podcast called Who Are These Podcasts? And it's basically these folks from Rochester, New York, who pick apart what they consider to be the worst podcasts. And would you believe who made a recent episode? Mr. Diamond David Lee Roth. They, as big Van Halen fans, found Dave's thing and picked it apart with WRIF from Detroit Radio DJs. This whole time, I thought I was the only person being critical. But their complaints, as people who aren't following Dave's every move, are the same that ours are. Like, they were talking about the re-records of Van Halen, all that stuff. They're going, Dave, what are you doing? You don't make any sense. But the thing is, this... Vegas surprise performance isn't the only bad thing he's put out in the last week. That's the problem. All right. Before we get into that other stuff, there's a couple of interesting things. First off, just from earlier today and then looking before, you can't find a video. Every link I clicked on who's picked up these stories, see the video here. You click on Metal Edge, video unavailable. This video may no longer exist. You don't yeah. have permission to view it. Same with Van Allen News Desk, same with Consequence, same all over the place. I know how to find it. I don't know if I want to find it after hearing your raving review of it, but here's but here's something else. Almost a few days after this performance, you know what I thought was really cool that popped up? Okay. Uh, was it Friday or Saturday night? Saturday night uh, in, in California, in Costa Mesa, uh, Sammy Hagar, Michael Anthony, Bumblefoot, Phil, and Phil X, and John Five uh, do a, save, uh, a fundraising concert for an organization called Save the Heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, which Michael Fucking Anthony awesome. organized uh, when he lost his grandchild to right the, to the heart disease or heart murmur, whatever it was. Yes, um, and 
you know, Dave never still has not put out anything that he performed at Mandalay Bay, mind you. It's only that Steve Stevens, a lighting tech or maybe a drum tech, somebody from the crew and a couple of people from Home Depot put things that tag the venue in there. And that's how people found out about this. Otherwise, we Dave, I don't think figured out that anyone was going to know about this. I mean, but how cool is that that something like this charity concert, which looks they did bad motor scooter, I can't drive 55. Um, I mean, just it's just an interesting dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this uh, playing for I'm sure made a you know for three three songs, I'm sure Dave made a nice penny in travel and hotel and all that stuff. And listen, I'm not denigrating anybody to right to to take a buck but as far as like a legacy and it it's just a legacy and kind of awareness and just i don't know man it's just to me it's like i don't want to say galling what's the word i'm looking for just as a comparison this yeah. super cool thing happened with one former lead singer of van halen with a bunch of other cool folks and for a great cause and again i'm not putting down anybody's reason to make money but at the same, practically on the same time, was this bizarre? I mean, if you, if there was a VIP concert around it or something that was kind of fan based, or something that would have been really cool that raised money, I would be hailing this. Yeah, even if he didn't sound good. I never thought about what you just said, and it's very interesting. I entirely agree with what you just said. One of these things is for the love of it and for good, and the other is a paycheck under not cool circumstances, which you can't fault the average performer for. But I say that you can fault the average performer if they were just going on a, well, I'm retired rant. (laughs) And they kind of wronged their fan base. I still, you know, I still feel that Dave did the wrong thing in terms of how he handled the Vegas cancellation. He said, we got rained out and blah, 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 blah. Okay, the Dave and Dave Unchained deep throat person who we still don't know the official identity of, their source, uh, that person said that Dave refused to reschedule the shows, that the venue wanted to reschedule them. So it sounds like Dave burned his fans. He burned the venue in the industry. He burned the crew that was expecting the salaries. So it's like he didn't make it right to anybody. Now you go, well, what does he owe us? It's his life. We're going to talk about stuff later in this podcast that show that he clearly wants approval from other people, that he's not just only doing things for his own satisfaction. We're going to get to that later on. So that's why I find fault in him doing the corporate gig like this. Uh, it kind of bummed me out. Like we say all the time here, you don't want to, it, it just bums you out when your heroes are, it's, listen, it's, of course, it's our podcast. We can be as judgmental as we want to be, but I would think most fans, most people listening have the same reaction that we do. It's like, mm. Come on, man. If you you don't want your heroes to make you feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, I look at it as I go like Roth is a high IQ. Well read. A person whose image is that he'll party with you and he's a lot of fun. And so therefore, based on that and how great his art was for decades, I just expect big things from him. 
if Vince Neil does something stupid, I just go, yeah, it's Vince Neil. What were you expecting? <laughs> you know, you hear what I'm saying? Vince Bar said, Vince Neil sets the bar really low. So when he does something cool or nice, you go, oh, good for you, Vince. And then Dave does disappointing things. And you go, Dave, you're better than that. Why would you do that? And this is just that. Here's here's the thing that I think any, especially classic rocker, someone that had a high octane performance level for so long and a high octane reputation, uh, who I, th- who that has kind of been tarnished the last three years, through several through year yeah. few years, is that you? Listen, he's got. I mean, he's pushing seventy. You know, the yeah. he's got he's got uh, more weekends behind him than he does have in front of him, right? Yes. And it's not about even if you don't care about a legacy, or if you're that insulated where you don't know. Nobody, I think, wants to even come close to running the risk of becoming a parody. Right. Uh, I'm with you on all those. And that's what I'm afraid this is. And and it was kind of. Uh, it was kind of always teetering on that edge for a little while. And then that was put on hold with the Van Halen reunion. hundred percent with you still. And I now think- we're kind of back in that realm again, because especially there's, I'm all about artistic chances. I'm not, I'm, I, I said a year before I applaud the comic books. I applaud putting out, the, I, I would, I prefer some sort of linear strategy to all this, you know, like come out with the John five stuff. I'll even say, well, I'm not a fan of the Van Halen covers. Hey, but you're putting out music. If, if it's, if it's, if it's a create, if it's getting your creative Jones and you want to do it, God bless. That's fine. But this and then just yesterday, a 45 second video of Dave eating a In and Out burger, I think it was, uh, during Friends in Low Places, uh, with uh, Gar- the Garth Brooks song Friends in Low, whatever, <laughs> playing in the background where we all just went, What? Okay. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> That's not the most offensive part of that video. And by offensive, I don't mean hurtful to humanity i mean okay did you see who he tagged in that video no okay he tagged basically every country superstar you can think of you know how when you go on instagram and you're like who's in the video and you're like me and my wife right tag your wife he tagged every country superstar you could think of in that video why Okay, so that's when I'm saying that he clearly wants approval from people. That he's going, how can I get as many people as possible to see this? Oh, I'm going to tag these superstars, and therefore their social media people are going to see it, and they're going to share it. And so then that exposes me to their fan, but, you know, that kind of a, a thing. So you go, okay, so the video sucks, is stupid, and self-promotional in a questionable way. So you go, well, Darren... How would you have made it better? Because you're just being negative. Okay. Beginning of it, put a slate, put an intro, put something that gives it context as to what it is. And the ending of it, another slate that says something like Roth show, we have the meats or Roth show. (laughs) 
You do something like that. So you just go, oh, it's a promo for his stupid podcast that we're tired of. Okay, cool. I get it. Instead, you have what appears to be a senile guy thinking he's doing something hilarious that none of us get what the joke is to a song that is not his song and not at all related to what he's doing. I somebody <laughs> please let us know the the let please let us know the deeper meaning in this video <laughs> if there was one. Yes, yeah, so I like I I was asking around my my insiders and they go, "Yeah, we we have no idea." So it's not like there's a writer team like the Tonight Show that that are submitting ideas and he goes, I like that one. I think that this is pure unfiltered Dave just kind of going, you know what I feel like doing right now? And then he does it and then he forgets about it without considering the consequence of that fan base going, wait, 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 what? What, why do I want to watch another one of these? So this is my mystery thing. I brought this up on another episode or two. When you look at the Facebook postings, it's 100% positive comments. Right. Yeah. And you've, you've touched on this before, YouTube and stuff, that someone's monitoring these things. When the news item goes up on Blabbermouth, it's like 95% negative comments. So are they moderating the comments? Are they buying fake comments? Or is it because nobody only gets positive comments on Facebook? I don't even get 100% Facebook positivity. No, and granted, some of those sites, I mean, most things at Blabbermouth are going to get are going to get a negative response. There's going to be some flame wars and some shit talking at that place. That's kind of what makes that place somewhat funny and uh, to a degree. And But you expect it there. But yeah, you're right. I mean... The comments we've seen for all these things is just completely they they have been filtered for your protection. Yeah. So there was a comment that I noticed uh, a day or two ago about Dave's ain't that peculiar. And one of the commenters said even better than Marvin Gaye's version. And is there a crack infestation amongst the David Lee Roth fan base that I'm not aware of? Because I don't see how anyone can listen to Dave's version and go, oh, he knocked it out of the park. Better than the original. Man, uh, I'm just looking at the video, the friends in low places. And you're right. He tags Garth Brooks, Carrie Underwood, Blake Shelton, Keith Urban, Jody, Cody Johnson, Little Big Town, C at CMA, Miranda Lambert, Chris Stapleton. I mean, uh, Black Pumas, Winona Judd, Scotty McCreary, Zach Brownman. Who did this for him? He wasn't sitting there with his phone. For, and the video, if, if those who haven't seen the video, it's literally, it's Dave in camouflage, some weird camouflage outfit, sitting in a chair with striped socks, opens a bag, pulls out a burger, looks in both directions. There's like a, there's some bizarre looking mannequin in the background and a dog statue. And I'm just, no fucking clue. Yeah, I know. So this is only a couple of weeks after the, him dancing and then uh, falls over and then starts dancing again with the cane. And yeah. for that one, I believe he'd he'd tag some artists as well, which again, like, is there any way to look at it besides look at me, look at me. I'm one of you. I mean, I don't, I think the, the if we're being generous, we look at like, 
This is Dave flexing some bizarre creative muscle. And what are you going to do? Move on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I look at the, the, the one, two, three, four punch of our last two or three months of Dave. And I go, this bizarro corporate gig where he was not good. This sketch, which is one of a few sketches because it's a new section on his website. So I think more of these pieces of garbage are coming soon. Uh, I look at that and that's a bad look. These Van Halen re-records are a bad look. These podcasts, these rambling podcasts that have lies in them, that don't talk about the things that we actually care about, that he posts and then unposts and then reposts edited, that's a bad look. So you, you get all those. Whereas I think he he did the middle of 22 uh, where he was putting out some of the John 5 stuff. And like, that was a good look. Oh, yeah. That was a pushing the ball forward artistically. And then now he's doing a mix of looking back at Van Halen nostalgically, but uh, in a way that he doesn't realize is diminishing it. Um, Creating new art that makes no sense to why we like Dave. And just leaving a bunch of projects unfinished. And, 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 <laughs> and, you know, week to week, month to month, with the exception of a little window of the John five stuff, completely forsaking all his solo stuff, which is why we started this podcast in the, in, in the beginning. Cause I'll always believe I'll, I'll die on that Hill that he did some really fun solo stuff and some good solo stuff, which is a perfect segue into another little piece of news. And that is the news that came out, uh, an interview with Billy Sheehan where yes. there was backing tracks on the skyscraper tour. And I'm going to look at this as a positive because this is back in 1988 and we could say Dave was an innovator using pre-recorded yes. backing tracks <laughs> live yeah. in concert. He was using them in 88 and he was using them in 2020 as well. Um, I've said it before in this podcast, the last two songs of the set that I saw both nights were just the gigolo into jump uh, pre-recorded they were singing over the recordings so uh dave has been <laughs> dave was using tracks i think he might be the second one because motley crew was using tracks for wild side in the 80s right but still i one of our listeners i i don't remember who was saying that that he thought it was a low blow of billy sheehan now to be mentioning that but i think billy was baited from you know, hey, I'm going to ask you 90% questions about Mr. Big and what you're up to now. And by the way, and then here's the two Dave questions, and then that's what gets picked up by Black Well, Butler. the interesting thing is the rest of that interview, he was all, you know, as he always has been, very thankful and yes. just singing Dave's praise about what a special time that was. But it just reminds me yet again is that that was just a very – I remember thinking of this at the time. I mean, not that you ought to do Eat Him and Smile – redux but man did you have like the hottest band ever yeah and, and i and i obviously he was chasing that pop success that his previous band got straight out of the box yeah um and i do love the skyscraper album but there could have been so much more with that eat him and smile band and 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 from the moment they started writing songs and when, the, you know, him and Vi started writing songs and went in the studio, it was just one vision and completely leaving behind what was so successful barely two years before that. 
Yes, I don't say bad things about that band. And I applaud taking chances and, and challenging yourself. I don't know if a 45 second video eating a burger is necessarily, it could be taken, you can construe it as taking a chance. I'm not sure how much it's challenging yourself. Yeah, and so for those, uh, if I could, <laughs> I just thought of a stupid rabbit hole. I screenshotted this for myself. Oh, Christ. Uh, I'm digging it from the phone right here because I knew that we were going to be taping. And I said, you know what? I'm going to look up um, Dave's trademark. Let's let's do a trademark watch and see what Dave's been up to lately. And he's actually let some of his trademarks lapse and other ones he's been uh, renewing and whatnot. But here's uh, here's one. If if anybody wanted to troll on behalf of. The DLR cast. So the soggy bottom, which you trademarked in April 2022, um, you have until April 4th to oppose the trademark on it. If you don't oppose it before April 4th, Dave gets it. Um, that's that's just that. But here's my bigger question. So he trademarks the soggy bottom and is paying all the fees for it to be going. And we don't know like what he's doing for that. But since I've last reported on his trademarks, he let what was that records expire. Why, do, Steve, am, am I missing something here? Why do you let your record company trademark expire? But I'm not, what? <laughs> I was just going to say, Soggy Bottom Records has a nice ring to it. It does, uh, <laughs> but... Here's one trademark from 2018, which which perplexes me. Are, are you ready? Yeah. The trademark is for the Laugh to Win River Project. And the category for this trademark is blank journal books, decals, newsletters in the field of news, current events, lifestyle, topics of general interest, style, beauty and arts, paper bags, postcards, posters, stickers, uh, coffee cups, pants, Underwear. <laughs> okay. Um, so left to win river project. Was that a cruise? Was Dave getting into the cruise business? Because what else would be a river project? Yeah. Riverboat gambling. I don't know. Riverboat casino. But but bad news. The trademark to L Roth has uh, been exp uh, has been let go. As an E.L.? Yeah. Remember his El Chapo joke and how he's going to be El Raw? Right, right. Uh, okay. So think about it this way. Uh, his attorney's name is on here. It's His attorney's not his assistant. Every time he's doing one of these, I'm going to say conservatively, it's between three and $10,000 for him to do one of these things. Are you sure about that? This isn't just like registering a do domain name, which cost me $15 a year to register AmericanMommy.com. Right. StupidPodcast.com. <laughs> Those are all available for sale, folks. Go to Namecheap.com and you can get AmericanMommy.com, which I've held forever. I figured some porn director would want that at least, or yeah. a, a, a division of American Girl Doll or something. AmericanMommy.com. Come on. I've been waving this flag for years. Uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, here's how I come to that figure that I just quoted. The fee itself, last time I checked, was around $300. But your attorney, of course, is going to go and be $500 an hour. 
And then, of course, they're going to say, well, you got to FedEx this with the tracking number. And if Dave doesn't do anything cheap. He He's notorious for overpaying people and being very generous. At first, you think that you're ripping him off. That's but then you cool. see what you have to deal with. <laughs> But so I'm just looking at all these things, all these stupid trademarks that he goes, I got an idea. Well, if he if he trademarked L. Roth, which he did for paintings, posters, again, underwear, belts for clothing, skirts, socks. He hasn't had any merchandise I can recall in years. And again, am I missing something here? Have I been sleeping and I missed like four years of stuff? Dude, you are so thorough. I don't think it's possible. I, I mean, listen, this is one of the rare, I don't want to say the only, but this is one of the few podcasts where one of the co-hosts is a private investigator. <laughs> well, I'm right now at a- Non-crime podcast, I should say. I'm at a convention for investigators in Orlando right now, hence the inferior audio quality for my end <laughs> using my laptop. Uh, there, You know, there's one or two of the investigators who- like the same music that we that we do but they have no idea about any of the stuff that roth is up to like they don't they don't know about the vegas show they don't know about the van halen re-records so you know with all these things that dave is doing one of the things i just have to say is who is this for it's not for the diehards it's not for making new fans or crossing over to the next generation who is this for? Is it just to please himself? I think yeah. there's better things yeah, yeah. you can do to please yourself. Well, listen, it's not for us to say, man. We can, we can, it's not for us to, it's just for us to wonder why, I guess, you know? I mean, I guess for if it's going to make sense for one person, <laughs> it's only going to make sense for one person. You know what I mean? Okay. So, so here's a hypothetical for you. Let's say each of those trademarks is let's call let's call it on the low end. Each one is about four grand. And let's say that maybe that Home Depot gig, he, he got about 75 grand. That's what I would guesstimate. For three okay. songs. Amazing. That's what I would guesstimate. Three songs, expenses paid, vacation, everything covered. They probably gave him per diems. They covered his tour manager's stuff, et cetera. Do you think he's up there on stage going, ooh, this is going to buy me 20 trademarks? No. Because <laughs> I am. That's I'm thinking that he's rocking so he could file more trademarks. You know, I would bet for 70 grand, there were, there were a couple medium-level rock bands that would have done the full gig. Oh, of, of, of course. Bands. Now, I mean, you can, you can get yourself an... A, you know, three or four bands that fell off of a 90s cruise. You know what I mean? For sure. You could get, um, if I were booking it right now, I would say you could get Everclear, Sponge, Filter, and Candlebox. <laughs> and by the way, Kevin Martin from Candlebox does not need the money. He's one of the well-to-do musicians that you have no idea is well-to-do because he had a, he, a really good renegotiated record deal. He never stopped working. He didn't waste his money on stuff. So I'm not slagging Candlebox, but he always worked. So I think that, right. that that thing, Home Depot in the future, should be a little better about its bookings. <laughs> one, one of our listeners wrote, uh, you know, they paid Dave like that much. No wonder toilets are so expensive at Home Depot. <laughs> you know, you, 
trying to I'm without speech. We'll edit that part out if I can remember it. I just had a brain cramp there, but I was just thinking of some other things that happened this week. And a couple of weeks ago, or at least very recently, the last couple of days, what was it? A couple, an episode or two of the Roth Show podcast. Dave mm-hmm. was suddenly singing the great praises of the singing the praises of Howard Stern. Yes. And then lo and behold, and again, I don't know if it was live on Monday or not, but this morning I'm listening to Stern and I've got my Sirius XM app on the laptop going and it'll tell you what they're talking about that moment. And it was something from David Lee Roth. I went, ooh, turn the volume up. And it was Howard talking about Dave giving him props on his podcast and and somebody, you know, he read the transcript of it and that was really about it. There was, at least from what I caught, and, you know, there's no slagging or anything going on or no teasing Dave about it or anything, but did you pick up on that? Did you hear that? What was your take on that? So I was emailing with one of our listeners, Colin Flynn, who's who tipped us off in the first place to how Howard Stern and Dave ended. He provided right. source of that information. Then we talked about it on the show. Then coincidentally, Dave talked about it on his show. And coincidentally, Howard Stern talked about it on his show. So did Colin Flynn create this whole thing? <laughs> I... <laughs> Did the DLR cast talking to Colin Flynn? We got more than one, more than one fan out there. That we got a couple of folks who would make great guests. A little, a little roundtable or something, you know? Yeah. So it's either the most curious timing ever, or I don't know what. Uh, something I think I mentioned on a previous episode is when I was listening to Dave's appearance on Howard Stern in '91. Around a little ain't enough. He had Howard admits to using Dave's sister, Lisa, as his nutritionist to lose some weight and that she helped him make healthy choices. So I think that Howard and Dave were close. There was a while where they feuded a little bit because I, th- I think Dave skipped. I think he skipped the Your Filthy Little Mouth press tour on Howard and Howard was offended by that and then started calling him David Weave Roth. And then I think they made up and then Howard asked for a Van Halen reunion for the private part soundtrack. And someone from Van Halen said a million bucks and they went, no. And Dave went, well, here's a song. And then Howard turned it down and then Dave used it for the DLR band album under a different name. Hmm. So I think they have a long history that we don't really know about because we have two private people whose public personas have nothing to do with their on air personas. Sounds that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for that long answer right there, but you know, I I think that Dave and Howard, something else they have in common is they remember things much differently than everybody else who was in the room, but they've redone their legacies to make themselves seem like more of a champion of all people than they actually were. Cause you know, Dave likes to be this, like, I'm a man of the people. I love everybody, but you look at how he exploited little people for so many years. It's not cool. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking too, man, what great radio would be. Well, hope uh, <laughs> I might be saying it might not be great radio, but man, wouldn't it be just great right now uh, for Dave to go on Howard Stern, where Howard just like, there he is. Look at him. There he is. Look at him. What the fuck have you been up to, Diamond Dave? And just let him go, you know? 
but but not completely. I mean, we're I would love to hear how Howard go, you know, what the fuck was that video? <laughs> you know what I mean? Interspersed, yes. interspersed with, are you dating anybody? What are you doing? What's with the artwork? Actually, somebody asked him about some of this shit, which the meandering podcast from several, we're going on several years now on, on Rogan and, and mm-hmm. those guys, Rogan and Marin. Marin was better than Rogan. I mean, where Howard's not so much of a sycophant, you know what I mean? Yes. Totally. Howard. Best, best interviewer out there, especially for rock folks. You know, I mean, he, he I mean, listen, there's going to be times where he plays patty cake and plays softball, like <laughs> like the Kiss interview. But it was enjoyable, nevertheless. I, I think you hit the nail on the head that I don't think that Howard Stern is as great as he once was as an interviewer. In other words, I think that people are saying he's the best interviewer rather than him actually being it. And it's, it's just a legacy kind of thing. But. I think that somebody like Howard and Dave are on equal footing. So what Howard is going to get out of Dave is different than anybody else. There's very, very, very few people who would get that respect out of Dave. Uh, David Letterman would be one because he uh, Dave used to go on Letterman's NBC show in the the early 80s, early into solo career. I think he did it two or three times as a sit down guest and he did to tell the truth with the Paul Schaefer band. So I think it's Letterman, Stern. You uh, know, you know when Stern is his best when he's that? when he's legitimately interested yes. and curious, which I can't say he was about Kiss. No, I don't. I don't think that Howard was a Kiss fan. I think he just knew that Gene Simmons made for good radio, and that's oh what- yeah, yeah, and it was a big announcement, the end of the road tour, the whole thing. So that was like, all right. Yeah, let's get them in there. They got to stop. I mean, that made sense all the way around from a booking standpoint. Oh, can, I, can I can I interrupt uh, with that? There's a great clip. In the early days of Conan, people don't really remember how no one was watching Conan the first, like, two years it was on. The show oh, was nobody. being threatened to being canceled. And Kiss in 93 or 94, I forget which one, they did some kind of a premiere it might have been for the Kiss My Ass tribute album. And they're like, it's the world exclusive launch performance. And we chose the Conan O'Brien show. It's because, yeah, because no one watched the show. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> said no. Letterman said no. Leno said no. You had no other options. All you had was Conan. Well, Didn't they do Hard Luck Woman on The Tonight Show with Garth Brooks? Or am I imagining that? I they, can't remember that far back. Did and then I think they did. I I think they did that in the Tonight Show. And then Leno, I'm sorry, Letterman. I think they did Christine Sixteen with the Gin Blossoms. That's right. Yeah, I, I watched it like two or three years ago, and it was much better than I remembered. But what I'm getting at is, I think that the way that Kiss works, as somebody who's interviewed most of the members of Kiss and been around people from McGee Entertainment. They are big, strategic, smart people, but they're also very old school. So they went, okay, we're going to announce these shows on a big media outlet. Okay, Jimmy Fallon, do you want it? No? Okay. (laughs) Uh, Kimmel, oh, Kimmel doesn't want it? Oh, okay. Uh, James Corden? Oh, no. (laughs) Howard! That's how I think that happened. Howard was like number 10 on that list. 
maybe i don't know i mean there's radio and there's tv right if you're gonna if you're gonna announce your final shows are in new york city what radio are you gonna do that also benefits you nationally it's gonna be howard stern right in new york man where did kiss announce its last most recent tour before this which which media outlet steve and this is this is gonna make you cringe Shit, I don't remember. America's um, Got Talent. Of course, America's. That's right. Good <laughs> lord. Yeah, so I, I really think that they're just. It's Gene Simmons sitting around going, twenty-four million viewers. That's one hundred eighty-six million impressions. He's, oh yeah, that's got. Of course, that la- that weighs something into it. I was thinking. I was thinking the other day about this. For something reminded me, and not to go. There are there is some interesting kiss stuff. We won't go fully down that road, but from. The 80s through the mid 90s. Yeah. There was no band that had the legacy that Kiss had behind it that blatantly outwardly chased every so many trends. Actually, I shouldn't say from the yeah. from 79 when they when it was disco for a minute with I was yes. made for loving you through the Carnival of Souls record, which is I like to call, you know, the the if it wasn't by Kiss, every Kiss fan would hate it. Uh, yes. Where literally Gene Simmons did say, I want to be like Billy Corgan. Yeah. It was you know, to the hairband stuff. They never needed. Right. Yeah. He did Chains records. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost a comedy record, that record. I mean, it's, it's, they chased every, you know, damn near. I was listening to the Hot in the Shade album the other day, which from a look standpoint was about as pure as they were going to get during that era. Right. Yeah. I mean, in Revenge, they went totally dark and close to, you know, leather and grungy and, you know, and that it was stylized, uh, you know, Hot in the Shade. I mean, that that whole era there, once they got away from the hair and the makeup from like Animal Eyes and Asylum and all that, where they went so glam and. And Gene looked like uh, Gene looked like he was sitting down with Phyllis Diller before every show. <laughs> you know, there was at least it wasn't so makeup. It was stylized, of course, but they had to compete with that stuff. But, you know, I'm listening to it. And there's there's a song there that was basically, oh, God, what the hell is the name? of? Well, there's Read My Body, which is Pour Some Sugar <laughs> on Me, Mark II, yes. right? There's a there's a song that sounds like I Hate Myself for Loving You on that record by Joan Jett. I mean... Hide, hide your heart. No, hide your heart was written. That was written, I think, with uh, either Holly Knight or Desmond Child. Somebody. I mean, yeah, they worked out. So right. I hate myself for loving you. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> and there was a lot of folks chasing that. But Kiss was so blatant like that, considering that such trailblazers they were in the seventies, you know, and take no prisoners. And and I mean, what a run they had to. All right, well. Listen, those guys are wearing makeup and frilly stuff. We got to look like poison. No, you don't. (laughs) So I have a little bit of a hot take, and I'm curious if you agree with me on this. So Dave's solo career started off the first three releases or four releases as I'm going to lead the pack. I'm going to do something before no one, before everyone. Like I am totally original. And then the next album is going to be nothing like that. And it's going to be the totally next thing. And the next album is going to be the totally. And it worked perfectly for Crazy from the Heat because Crazy from the Heat has nothing to do with Eat em and Smile. No, no, no. And it was Eat em and Smile has nothing to do with Skyscraper. And that totally worked. Skyscraper has absolutely nothing to do with A Little Ain't Enough. But it didn't quite work as well. Uh 
a little enough has nothing to do with your filthy little mouth. And I found some interviews from 92, 93, where Dave was saying how what became your filthy little mouth was going to be a, quote, blues album. So he knew that he was going to make a blues album before he'd started writing the songs for that album. So I think that everything was super planned and calculated in that I'm going to do something before everyone else. And then at a certain point in time, maybe 97, and he went, nah, I'm just going to do what everyone else does. And that's or what, what everybody expects me to and wants. And that is I'm just going to do Van Halen songs. Yeah. And that's after the and DLR band album. That's when the long blonde wig came back. That's when the sets went from being mostly Dave solo stuff to that's, mostly Van Halen. That's when the tights came back. You know, he was yeah. he was doing the black jeans and kind of black jeans and vest and white dress shirt during the all the photos. I've got a Your Filthy Little Mouth tour program. Yeah. And it's these kind of model smoky black and white shots. Dave had the short hair, the you know, the black, the white button down. It was a cool look. And he was in the clubs doing that as well. And it was the funny thing is, I think he was going for that smoky blues look for an album that did was not that kind of album at all. It was a mishmash, and we can talk about that for another time. But it's interesting to think about this. If he had the right band and stayed more to a true blues vision, maybe a couple covers. I think that for I, I'm not a fan of that production. I love Nile Rodgers, but I'm not really that record. Just does not necessarily have. It's got an odd. I've never been. It's got kind of a flat, odd energy to it. Even yes, the, and it just doesn't jump out at you the way the way you would think a Dave record does. Right. Yeah. And, but when you think about for what was going on in music at that time, he could have been ahead of the pack a bit being, you know, on a downward sales spiral. Sure. But not repeating himself. And you've got a lot of folks that were kind of going in that direction or trying to do some different things. And I think around for what could have been a lot different was, I, I think it, it I don't think it was fully realized what he where he wanted to go. I don't know where it went wrong, but uh, from a song standpoint to a sound standpoint, maybe somewhere it was like, well, because it's not a full blues record. Do you know what I mean? There's but there's songs yeah. that are, have that moody, smoky feel to it, but it's an odd record. Yeah. So here we are, around 25 years after DLR Band came out. And I feel like he's been in his own vacuum without a dedicated manager for close to 25 years. I think him and Eddie Anderson part ways in 98 or something like that. Then the guy you had after that, Kieran McClellan, who I was supposed to interview but kind of ghosted me. He's one that people don't really talk about. He sued Dave to due to termination. And then the next one is Matt Sensio, who seemed to be guiding him really well, but he's more of an assistant than a manager, it kind of seemed. So I think that 25 years or so in his own vacuum without an equal to go, no, bad idea, is why he is the way he is. I don't think it would ever been, for 25 years, would it have been possible for somebody to actually be in that role and give that big, that bigger, more A&R type direction, artistic, you know, some... You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, you're going to have, as a manager, sometimes you're going to, you're going to, your client might have 25 different ideas. Your job is to winnow them down to the three most likely, most possibly most successful, hopefully not that expensive. 
you know, the, not the most expensive ideas, but go, all right, you know what? If, let's focus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bring, bring some focus to this and a little, for a guy who's so disciplined, the discipline isn't necessarily there for the end result. It's, it's, yeah, it's the, and again, we could be way wrong on this. I mean, there, who knows for a 45 second video, there could have been three hours worth of storyboards and rehearsals <laughs> for that. I don't know. No, you know what I'm saying? No, but, it, but, but it is, it is kind of rudderless. I mean, look back on the other previous version of the Roth, the, the, the different version of the Roth shows one had a lot of videos in it. Yeah. Some really cool stuff. Um, some of it, you know, content wise, it was a lot of the, some of them had a bit more focus, a bit more direction, but it was still all over the map. It was Van Halen stories, growing up stories, Vegas, whatever it might be. Um, but then you'd have these videos of him doing, you know, martial arts demonstrations or whatever, or, I mean, it was, it was a cool look into different sides of Dave's life at the time. What I have heard allegedly is the person who did most of the video editing when his show was great and him had a bad falling out that it was two, three years of working together and things are awesome and trust and trust and trust. And then one day it's a, uh, no, you're gone. Uh, I, that's what I heard. So I really do think that the quality of the people that he keeps around is the quality of the output. And a lot of that has to do with how much, input is he letting them give for the project and we learned that from the mark elmer interview about no holds barbecue that he would it's like what you just said having the 25 ideas and whittling them down to the two or three what other people have told me about dave is the ideas are not the problem he wants to try everything right to a detriment so somebody was telling me that for the first vegas run the 2021 it went from being like, we're going to play with tracks. No, we're not going to play with tracks. Yes, we are going to play with tracks. There's three guitarists. No, there's one guitarist. No, there's two. No, there's three. No, there's two keyboardists. If he had somebody, because I know he is friends with Rick Rubin. If he had a Rick Rubin-like person that he just go like, look, you've been successful. I trust you. Great. If he had an ironing board or what, what a sounding board, not an, an ironing board. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's drinking. Oh yes. Uh, thank you, kind folks at at AB. Um, anyway, the if he had that sounding board, I think that ninety nine percent of these problems would go away. I don't think he would be putting out what he's putting out. I don't think that he would do a bad gig in Vegas and then just go into the rabbit hole. I think that he would have a good defense or counter to why he did the bad gig in a way that kept everyone happy and going, Oh, Dave, such a scoundrel. That's what I think. He just is missing that one part of the puzzle. Yeah. And that's some, I guess, some assistance with direction, let's say. Yeah. Yes. So I'm glad he's doing stuff. Like he's, there were months where we didn't hear anything from the guy. We just yeah. get, I'm glad he's doing stuff. It's just all that pretty much sucks. I so mean, it sucks. <laughs> I'm I'm going to take the bright look on the bright side of things. I really do admire somebody who's got the wherewithal and the creative Jones 
to do whatever the fuck they want, regardless of the results of the consequences. Because from his standpoint, he might think it's he might think this stuff is all fantastic, which you could say might be kind of delusional or non-judgment judgmental. Take your pick. I'm going to say delusional because he's been in his vacuum for so long. So, you know, yet again, well, Darren, you know so much, right? Because you're just pointing out the problems and not the solutions. We're speculating. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. We speculate. We don't educate. (laughs) There's we've talked about prior episodes with meat on the bone. What can he talk about on the podcast? I don't know. All the stuff that he doesn't talk about from 1986 to right. getting back together. You have 20 years of fresh content right there. Everybody okay. from the Eat em and Smile Band has talked about their great reminiscence, reminiscences. Is that a word? From yeah. the recording and that tour, except for <laughs> Dave himself. Yeah, Greg Bissonette did great videos a couple of they weeks They all ago. have been talking. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Again, it drives me up the wall. You're forsaking 30 plus years of really cool activity. So that's one thing he could do. What else can Dave do? Okay, he could do a touring exhibit. You know, when people go to a hard rock cafe, Matthew Speddings, who listens to the show, sent me a photo of a suit that of Eddie that they had on the wall. And between me, Matt, and all the people listening to this, we don't think he really ever wore that suit. Um, we think that they just bought it uh, <laughs> licensed. But Dave could do a touring exhibit of his stuff uh, with, with videos uh, screened from his personal collection and or him doing live commentary over Van Halen concerts and or an acoustic set. In other words, he could do a multimedia four or five hour thing. He could just get up and do live telling stories with a moderator on stage. What I'm getting at is there are ways for him to perform. There's ways for him to unearth stuff that he doesn't hate. And there'd be people to buy this stuff. And none of this stuff requires a lot of effort from the guy. This stuff that he's trying to do now does require effort from him. And it still sucks. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, effort is, it's kind of, for lack of a better word, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily effort if it's, if it's a quote unquote labor of love, there's an oxymoron or a conundrum or a dichotomy or something in there. I'm not exactly sure, but do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't think it takes too much effort to do the podcast, let's say. I mean, clearly he likes, I'm assuming he likes doing it. It could just be, anything can be improved upon. And with the legacy he has and the amount of content he has available and the life is that he's lived, everything could be so much more, so much better in our, in our humble opinion. I forgot the painting. I don't think there's any fans that don't think that. The painting, Steve. Oh Yeah. Yeah. There's a museum exhibit with the paintings. You're telling me there isn't a museum in Rockford, Illinois, or, you know, the Contemporary Art Museum of Rockford or something? I can tell you there was a Rockford, Illinois that did a four-month exhibit of all of Rick Nielsen's stuff. The Burpee it's Museum not- in Rockford. How do I know? Because I was there and my mind was fucking blown. I went 
three or four years ago to the Woody Guthrie Museum in Tulsa, and they had a room that was a John Mellencamp exhibit. So you're telling me they wouldn't take a Roth exhibit of paintings or handwritten lyrics or anything like that? It's just leaving money on the table in a, in a lame kind of way, because it's not a sellout thing to do a museum exhibit. It's simultaneous cash flow, cleaning out your house and making people happy. It is a win-win-win with publicity. So, oh, it's... Well, Darren, we're all winners here. <laughs> yeah, like, if if they're listening to us for, for our take on things... They're not. <laughs> he, he said codfish in the last podcast, <laughs> if I heard it correctly. Codfish. <laughs> yeah, I just... I'm disappointed because I look at how his contemporaries are doing things. I love how Kiss just put out that soundboard with Mark St. John. Did you oh, hear? That? Yeah, they and they've been doing that for a while now. I mean, God bless them for doing for continuing to feed that stuff. I mean, I was it's funny you remind me of this because I was thinking back. Well, I, I I was thinking because I was looking at him. I was packing up a bunch of things for an anticipated move to come and move. And it's like, I've got those Kissology DVDs. Mm -hmm. I've got the Kiss, um, God, well, it was, uh, was it a live three home video? Mm -hmm. I got that. Was it the Kiss one? What was it? Where, I mean, it was uh, extreme close up. you know? I mean, some looking back, they're kind of hokey, but back then they were putting this stuff out where we, at a time when we would have all killed for that. And we said it here before for that home video of the Eat em and Smile show. The home video of the skyscraper tour, the most video, the most photogenic and visual tour of that era. One of the very uh, top ones, at least Dave on a surfboard overhead screaming for a home video release. All right. Well, it's too late for home video release because stuff ends up on YouTube in a second. Well, you know what? Put it on your put it on your website. 24 hours, whatever. And then before it gets bootlegged or ends up on YouTube, put hell, put on your YouTube channel. Who gives a shit? For a long time, Cheap Trick was putting stuff on their YouTube channel, rehearsal footage from 1980 when they were rehearsing with Pete Comita. I mean, they're not making much. They're giving some fans what they want. They're not, you know, it's yeah. not only a repository for their videos, but for, you know, for different uh, band shot concert footage and stuff. Bunny Carlos just started doing a Bunny's Basement Bootleg video huh? channel. Yeah, there's some great stuff on there. I didn't know about that. but Yeah, it's it's mostly, it's all audio stuff, but it's on YouTube. And there's great stuff from 75 and 94. And, you know, and there's some details. Somebody writes and notes about it. And uh, this just started like two months ago, barely. So, we I mean, there's so up. many cool legacy things to do. Legacy enhancing, let's call it. Right. And and sorry to interrupt and repeat myself, but when you do that stuff, you actually are doing copyright protection in the process of it. So do you know off offhand, what's the year where if you didn't copyright it after that, that it's it becomes public domain after 50 years? Was that 78 or 77? I want to say it was in the 70s. It was in the 70s for sure. So that's why we've seen these 50-year copyright dumps where the Beach Boys are putting out their backstage rehearsals before the show, and they're just buried bonus tracks on things. And then other people like Prince, I think it was like a 24 hours up on YouTube thing and taken down. And Bob Dylan, it was like three hours and taken down. Well, I think that some of the Van Halen stuff, like their Gene Simmons demo, could es essentially be public domain at this point. Hmm. Because enough time has flown by and they didn't properly 
put it out or anything like that. So I would chalk that kind of stuff up to Van Halen status quo with just leading to bad decisions. And I would fear with Dave that some of his stuff might be in danger of becoming public domain. I I would have to research what it is. I know it's different under the Madrid protocol for Europe, but there's a chance some of his stuff is becoming public domain due to this sloppiness. Well, you've documented here the things that that have just been out in the wind from unclaimed money to trademark protections. So, Still on the oh unclaimed contests. How do we wrap this up tonight? <laughs> I think we can wrap this one up by saying um, sorry. Sorry that I led a negativity-oriented conversation. I'm just reflecting upon the things that people have been writing to me and the things I've been feeling and so, in your okay. defense, you have been drinking for the last three hours. No, you haven't. Uh, okay. <laughs> like 40 minutes, more I'm like. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, sorry for being negative, but I just think that Dave is such wasted potential at this point in time for what, who I think is the greatest frontman of all time, for maybe my favorite band of all time. The first few solo releases are amongst my favorite albums of all time. And just to see what we're getting now versus other artists around his age, Cheap Trick is still awesome. Like, learn something from Cheap Trick. Uh, so how do we wrap it up? How do um, we wrap it up? I'll tell you how we wrap it up. We give we give props and a plug to your forthcoming book, DLR <laughs> Right, come on. Right. We it, it's out there and ava- it's available to pre-order now. Coming in January, from your favorite co-host here of the DLR cast, DLR book: How David Lee Roth Changed the World by Darren Paltrow. It's coming in January. Still waiting to see that cover pop up everywhere, but you can pre-order it now at the likes of Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. We'll put the links in the show notes so Thank you. i i did actually approve the cover today nice from what i've heard it's a january 1st 2024 release uh i'm still waiting on confirmation of that i've never heard of a book ever coming out on new year's day <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a typo but uh is that a, it new year's day is a tuesday i think right that's probably why so i, I don't know um i'm the I'm first t- the first another- tuesday of the month I turned in the updated manuscript three days ago. Uh, you know, they did not change very much of what I turned in. That shocked me. I, I thought that, that I was going to get a lot of like, you can't say that. But uh, so far, I guess their lawyers think I haven't said anything that's libelous or slander oriented because it's all backed up with sources. And we should note as well that you have got a bunch of exclusive photography from lit bassist Kevin Blades. And I don't even we'll have to get into this on a later later discussion, how you how you got this and why. But you got an introduction by WWE Hall of Fame inductee (laughs) Diamond Dallas Page. DDP, him and I text every now and then he is the most accessible down-to-earth celebrity you'll ever meet. Uh, That's the best way I can put it in. Kevin Baldus from Lit, he should be on this show. He knows more about Van Halen. I'll just end on this note. When I was sending him going, 
do you like this potential cover? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's the Diver Down tour. And I'm like, okay. He knew, he, he knew just from a black and white photo. <laughs> he knows his stuff. And I've I've loved Lit for over 20 years now. And great, yeah. great dude. He's given me photos that haven't run anywhere else. And hopefully they make the final cut. Awesome. Well, as we get closer, we will have an exclusive interview here at the DLR cast with the author of the DLR book, Darren Palchowitz. And we should get Kevin on here and some other guests in the future as well. And on that note, let's get out of here. Nothing but yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for your patience. Take care.